0: Morrison Cuts Wages, Elbow's Reality Signal, Putin's War, and the Good News is About Forests. This is The Week on Wednesday. Hello and welcome to The Week on Wednesday. I am Ben Davison. Unfortunately, tonight, Bambadam has been unable to join me. We have had some significant technology breakdowns. Van is in Sydney with her mother at the moment, and it appears as though there are some storms in Sydney, and our first attempt and our subsequent attempts to record via an online platform failed quite miserably. So I am going to do a week on Wednesday, not by myself, but with Germanicus, who you can probably hear scratching in the background, and on Sunday... Van will join me for a very special Post Insiders pre-budget Week on Wednesday Weekend Wrap that will be an extended version of the Weekend Wrap. So apologies to all those listening who are hoping to hear Van's dulcet tones on the podcast. You will have to tune in on Sunday for a very special edition of the Weekend Wrap. Tonight, and it is now tonight... I will simply give you a bit of a summary about where we're at on Wednesday for the week on Wednesday, because there are some serious issues that are happening here in Australia and around the world. First of all, let me just say that the Morrison government is absolutely leading the charge in entirely the wrong direction when it comes to wages in this country, public sector wages have gone backwards by even more than private sector wages. And today, the Governor of the Reserve Bank, Philip Lowe, has said that working people may have another 1.5% pay cut forced upon them this year. And of course, what we know is that when the government is driving down wages for the public sector, that drives down wages in the private sector. That's part of the reason why the Morrison government does it, because it wants wages to be lower. At the same time, job security has been undermined by outsourcing the use of labour hire, the use of contract labour in the public sector. So, Job security is down, wages are down. The Reserve Bank Governor has said that he can't understand why companies aren't lifting wages. And that maybe there are problems with the way bargaining works. Well, my message to the Reserve Bank Governor is that yes, there are problems with the way bargaining works, but not the way that you think. Because right now, Qantas, the plus other companies like the multinational billion-dollar tugboat business, Switzer, are trying to cancel agreements not to increase the wages of the workforce, which they could do anyway. You don't need to cancel an agreement to increase wages. You can do that unilaterally. What they're trying to do is cancel those agreements to drive down wages, to push people back onto minimum award rates. This is the Morrison government leading the charge and having major corporations fall in behind them In a race to the bottom on wages. It's entirely, entirely preventable. We know that when the public sector is strong, when the government is bringing on public servants to serve the needs of the public and giving people secure employment, that has a ripple effect throughout the whole economy. When the government is doing the opposite, when it's doing what the Morrison government is doing, we see huge gaps. And you only need to look at the flood response in northern New South Wales and southeast Queensland, where the federal government has been unable to mobilise quickly. You only need to look at the aged care sector, where the federal government has failed again and again, has tried to outsource the problem to the private sector. You only need to look at the research that's come out today about the deserts, the childcare deserts that exist in so many of our regions and outer suburbs. There are huge, huge problems, material problems, that occur when the government is driving down wages. And, of course, this is happening at the same time the cost of living is increasing. So one of the things that we'll cover off on Sunday when Van and I are able to do the podcast together is we will look at what Morrison is dangling in front of people for the budget, because there's all sorts of talk about one-off payments and goodies and trinkets. But if you want to hear more about that and what to look out for in the lead up to the budget, check out the On The Job podcast with Francis Leach and Sally Rugg. They interviewed Jim Stanford, who's a fantastic economist, and they really do go through a number of the things to look out for. What we know is that public sector workers are more likely to unionise. And when they unionise, they're more likely to have better pay and better conditions. We know that that lifts the private sector pay and job security and conditions. We know that when workers unionise in the private sector, That also lifts their pay and conditions. There are lots of positive knock on effects here. When workers are in more secure employment, they are more productive. When workers are more productive, companies make more money, wages can go up more. And in fact, inflation, one of the big problems that everybody's talking about now in the economy, is lessened because we are more productive. The Morrison government can't manage the economy. They don't have the ideological toolkit to do it. Instead, they're hoping that some cash splashes will divert people's attention from the fact that what they've actually been doing for the last three years is wasting billions of dollars. I've talked about this on the Weekend Wrap before, about the money they've wasted in defense. People know about sports rorts. People know about the unused disaster recovery money, a whole range of wasteful boondoggles that the Morrison government has managed to implement in its time in government. Nearly a decade now that the Liberal government has been in power. And of course, what we see from Labor is quite a concerted campaign to focus on the material realities that people have to face. So that is job security, wages, childcare, healthcare, the fact that we're still in a pandemic. Thousands of people right across Australia are being diagnosed with COVID every day. Morrison has simply stopped talking about it. That there are floods and fires and natural disasters brought about through climate change. And again, the Morrison government simply chooses to ignore that reality. Labor is focused on what it can do about those issues, about improving job security, about lifting wages in childcare, in the disability sector, in raising the minimum wage, about providing services that people need. We saw in South Australia, labour focused on the material realities that people were experiencing every day. The issues with the health system, the issues with ambulance ramping, the issues around job security, concerns about privatising public assets and thus having an increase in prices, which we know happens when you privatise assets. At the same time, the Liberals were focused on building a new basketball stadium. Apparently there was a see-through walkway. These sorts of non-priority issues, non-material issues, trying to beat up a number of issues around what's in ads and what's not. We know how that finished. The Liberals were obliterated. When Labor focuses on the material realities that people face every day, they win government. And when they win government and they deliver on those material policies around job security, wages, healthcare, education, childcare, improving people's standards of living, then they're able to implement social policy progress. We've seen it in Victoria, in Queensland, in WA. We, we now have some of the most progressive policies we've ever had anywhere in this country in those labour jurisdictions. Everything from safe zones around sexual health clinics, to voluntary assisted dying legislation, to forest protection in WA. Labor is able to deliver social progress because it gets a mandate from delivering improvements in the standard of living for everyday working people. There is no counter-protest to marriage equality Because once these things become law, it is blindingly obvious that the only people who are impacted by marriage equality or by giving trans people rights or by having safety exclusion zones are the individuals who are going through those issues, who need that social policy to help them with their life. And in fact, It doesn't impact random people who are whipped up into a frenzy about it before it becomes law, when there's a massive focus on it, when it's used as a cultural wedge, when it's used as some kind of weaponization against our fellow Australians. Those people don't actually experience any of those things because it's got nothing to do with them. The focus on material reality is where Labor wins elections. And I raise that point in the context of today's news that Morrison's spiritual advisor, Brian Houston, has had to resign from the Hillsong Church following two incidents with about inappropriate behaviour involving women and that there were misuse of sleeping tablets, and anti-anxiety medications involved. At the same time, Anthony Albanese tweeted a picture of himself meeting with the bishops of the Orthodox and Catholic Churches of Sydney with members of his New South Wales caucus of those faiths, which I took to be, if you want to have a fight about culture, if you want to go there, ScoMo, Elbow's ready to go there. Now, I say, good on your Elbow. I still want to see Labor focused on the material realities. I get there's a lot of people who are upset about the I'm not woke quote that is has been attributed to Elbow. Frankly, the only people I've ever heard use the term woke are people on the right trying to use it as an attack against people from the left. You know, I don't want woke, inner-city, bourgeoisie, latte-sip, whatever kind of derogatory terminology you want to associate with that word determining how I live my life. Nobody does. That's the reality. Australian culture says that we can all live our lives the way we want, And this is a worker's paradise. That means good, secure employment. That means fair day's pay for a fair day's work. That means a social safety net that lifts you up, that doesn't hold you down. These are all things that we associate culturally with Australian values and what labour is trying to get back to in the minds of those people who feel like Labor drifted away from there. Now, my view, Labor has never drifted away from there. That's always been core to who we are as members of the Labor Party. And it's no secret I'm a member of the Labor Party. But there are some people in Australia, after many, many years and many millions of dollars of campaigning by the right, who have a different view about how labour values manifest themselves. So I don't really care whether Elbo is woke or not woke. I care that he's delivering the material benefits of a labour government to everyday ordinary Australians, and that he's using the position of government to implement the policies that reflect labour values. He can't do that from opposition. So all of these attacks that Morrison makes and all of the focus on, is he left enough, is he too left, is he right enough, is he too right? It's all designed to distract from reality. And that is that under Morrison, the Australian people are worse off than they were before. That's the reality. Workers' wages have gone backwards. There are more people in insecure work than ever before, and more people working more than one job than ever before. These realities impact everyday people. Frankly, the vast majority of the things that people get very worked up about and want to describe as woke. And want to do virtue signaling about don't impact the vast majority of people. And when labor governments implement good social policy that aligns to labor values, as we've seen in Queensland, in WA and Victoria, those great progressive steps forward embed themselves in the culture because they're accompanied by great steps forward in living standards for the people of those jurisdictions. Of course, we know the budget. There'll be cash splashes and Morrison's desperate and the numbers are all bad for him. Well, there are a set of numbers that you'll see mentioned in the budget that are starting to come through now That are to do with commodity prices. Australia, as everybody knows, is a big exporter of commodities iron ore, coal, uh, various other commodities, wheat, of course, as well. These are all things that have been impacted by Putin's war in Ukraine. And the great irony here is that while the price of those things has gone up, and the tax take from them has increased. So the Commonwealth budget position will be better off as a result. The vast majority of Australians will not see a benefit from that. And in fact, for many Australians, we see a negative impact. We see the price of wheat go up, therefore we see the price of bread go up, the price of pasta go up. We see the price of oil go up, therefore we see the price of fuel go up. We see the price of driving our cars go up, of getting around, transport. These are increased costs on the Australian people, even though our resources, our commodities, the things that come out of our ground are being sold overseas at an increased price. That's privatisation. And what Morrison will do is dangle a few dollars in front of us to make us feel like we've got a bit of a slice of it. The reality, of course, is that billionaires will take most of it. The other reality is that there is a real human impact of Putin's war. It's now day 28 of Putin's war in Ukraine, and Kiev has not fallen has not been encircled, the Ukrainian government stands and its command and control capacity still stands. The Russians have 190,000 soldiers attacking 250,000 defending Ukrainians. Standard wisdom is that if you're going to enter into an offensive, you want a three-to-one numerical advantage. The Russians are well below that. We've seen that casualty levels among the Russian military, are almost already at the level they suffered in Afghanistan over nearly a decade, in just four weeks. Six of the 20 generals Russia has deployed to Ukraine have died. Now, we're all accustomed to seeing the television pictures and the movies and the general riding out in front That's not how modern warfare is fought. The last land war in Europe, World War II, when Germany was on the offensive in France, it lost zero generals. There was one commander who was posthumously promoted to general who died but lost none in the conquest of Belgium, the Netherlands, and France. Conversely, the last time there was a land war in Ukraine was when the Soviet Union was driving the Nazis out of Ukraine. And there, the Germans suffered many, many losses, 20-plus generals. The Soviets, zero. If you're losing generals, you're losing the war. And, of course, we're seeing arms and supplies flood into Ukraine while Russia has been cut off from most of the rest of the world. Putin's regime is struggling to keep the home fires burning. It's struggling to keep people fed and warm. There are reports of frostbite among the Russian soldiers. General Winter has traditionally been Russia's friend, now appears to be biting Russia very hard. Of course, there are civilian casualties as well. Reports of theatres being bombed by Russia. Reports of looting, pillaging, the targeting of civilians, the targeting of women and children. As much as we in Australia talk about the material realities that we deal with, the material realities on the ground in Ukraine are literally life and death. It's an extreme example, and I deliberately raise it to highlight where ignoring reality can get you. It can get you to autocracy and oligarchy of a fantasy where Ukraine will welcome your army and the war will be over in three or four hours, when the reality is the Russian people are suffering Ukrainian people are suffering. Putin is dressed in a $10,000 coat addressing public servants who are bussed into rallies while Zelensky is moving among his people, encouraging them, talking to them. Putin is sitting at the far end of a long table while Zelensky is doing video recordings with his generals and his cabinet. Fantasy and reality. It's an extreme example, as I said, and we have to always be mindful that reality, reality trumps fantasy. It may take a long time and it may be at the brutal end, the brutal end of the spectrum, but it doesn't have to be. We can have improvements in material reality. We can reject the fantastical. We can do that in a democracy. We've done it many times before. The people of South Australia did it on the weekend where they said, we want a government that is focused on the things that matter to us, not a government that's living in a fantasy world where basketball stadiums are more important than new hospitals. That's the beauty of a democracy. We have that opportunity. We can do that at the next election. We can do that at every election. We can vote for reality. I want to end on a piece of good news, and that is that it was International Forest Day on Monday, and the stories of forest improvements that are coming out from around the world Are just magnificent. Oregon has legislated to conserve 33,000 hectares of state forest. There's a partnership in America between the Department of Defense, Interior and Agriculture that will see 3 million hectares uh, of wildlife habitat preserved around Air Force bases. In Western Australia, 400,000 hectares of some of the most diverse forests on the face of the planet are being protected. They contain rare trees, tingle, jarrah, kari, mari, twat, and wando trees, and I'm sorry if I've mispronounced any of those. You know, Mark McGowan Labor Premier of WA has said we're going to stop logging our native forests to preserve these beautiful, magnificent, wonderful areas for future generations of West Australians. In South America, another $300 million has been put into an initiative to continue biodiversity and forest conservation in that region. And it's been so successful, it's already conserved 1.5 million square miles, 400 million hectares of forest. That's about half the size of Brazil has been preserved. And it's now going to lift that by another 100 million hectares of freshwater and forest ecosystem. You know, this has huge impacts, huge impacts on the planet, on local communities, on indigenous communities, on on people, plants and animals. It's such great news that the world is stepping up and saying we need to preserve our forests. We need to reforest Europe. And in fact, we're seeing that there is more forest cover in Europe than there has been for over 100 years. It's a phenomenally good news story. Now, As I said, this has been a very special episode of the week on Wednesday. I apologize for the technical issues that have meant Van can't be with us tonight. I do want to give a huge shout out to our supporters. February was the biggest month for downloads in the history of the week on Wednesday, and it is in no small part due to the magnificent contribution of our supporters. Each and every one, a union member or retired union member, you can become a union member right now. Go to Australianunions.org.au. Wow. For job security, better wages, safer working conditions. That's something you can do right now. You don't have to wait for an election. You can do that right now. But I want to give a shout out to our Cadre, these are our supporters who contribute $20 a month to make sure the message gets heard by even more people. Our Cadre supporters are Leona Gibbons, someone, at Lee Archer, Linda Cartwright, at Leanne Shingles, Louise Moran, Donna Chapman, I don't have Twitter, my name is Susan Myers, at Ash 20 billy Billy3McCabe, Cara and Will Robinson, Narissa Simon, at Cadigal, Lauren and Ash, Matthew Hadley, at Nirunga Man. John Sharpen, Peter Barth, Aaron Rollins, Louise Watson slash at Red White Blue Lou, Kylie Phillips, Diana Blyton, Brash Daniels, and our Extending the Reach contributors, who are putting in $10 a month to make sure we keep extending our reach. Graham Oxley, Beck Cody, Tracy Lucas, Belinda Bravo, Sandy Honan, at Gail Vest, Greg Martin, Trina, Amy Fawcett, not on Twitter, Sarah, and... K2E, Bo Sullivan, Alian and Andrew, Ivor Spillett, Jennifer Berkeley, Andrew Bryan, Tamara James, Peter O.C., Linda, Sam Adid, Keir Patterson, Lizard Twizzle, Buncomb Katie Ward at The Real Neville Longbody, Sandy Baumgart at Not Sandy B, Melody Patterson, Renee McGee, Stuart Munn, Claire, Joe Lupino, Steph, Rachel Fitzpatrick, Pauline Bate, Erica Bazzuti, Megan Weckart, Moira Louise Hawker, Bill Collis, and Nandita Hannam. Huge thank you and congratulations to all of you. We've ticked over well over 200 ongoing monthly contributors to the week on Wednesday. We will sort out our tech before Sunday and we will be back with a very special weekend wrap extended edition with myself and Van Battam. Until then, I'm going to say what I always say on a Sunday and that is be kind to yourself and to each other.